Hey everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters, every day the right way. My name is Matt and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you and what are you drinking this morning? I'm awesome, Matt. Yeah. And I'm actually, I have nothing. I have no liquids. You I completely nothing. forgot them, yeah. Ah. You know, uh, I'm drinking coffee. It's called Reanimator. It's um, It's been roasted in my neck of the woods in Philadelphia and uh, yeah, it's good. I'm really, really caffeinated. <laughs> so uh, before we get started, well, you know, before we get started, we're going to talk to an expert today about urban foraging. If you don't know what that is, stay tuned because <laughs> it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. Uh, but if you have any questions about personal finance, including income, debt, budgeting, or investing, you can shoot us an email with your question at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And we also want your submissions... For our catchphrases, what is that noise? <laughs> is that a train? Yeah. It is a train, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we also want your submissions for catchphrases at the beginning of the show. You can send them via Twitter. It's at Money Matters Man. And uh, today's catchphrase is Every Day the Right Way by Jeff Moore. Thank you very much, Jeff, for your Twitter account for your Twitter for your catchphrase that you sent via Twitter or wherever you sent it. You probably sent it on an email or whatever. But we got some noises. Let's not delay it any further. We're gonna talk to Wildman Steve Brill about urban foraging. Steve Brill has a website called WildmanSteveBrill.com and he also has an app that you can download in the app store called Wild Edibles, and it's got a picture of Steve Brill with his trademark hat on. Steve, how are you today? Very good. Do you want? Do you prefer to be called Wild Man, or do you prefer to be called Steve, or Mr. Brill? Wild Man. Wild Man. You know what? Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, you are an urban forager. How long have you been doing it? Only 32 years. That's I it. Tourists, I lead foraging tours throughout the greater New York area. Once in a while, out of the area, I work with the public. On uh, weekends, I work with schools, garden clubs, nature centers, land trusts, chefs, doctors. Uh, I once even led a tour for a flock of parrots. Um, yeah, yeah I, what, what? Parrot, there was a parrot club. They hired me to do a tour. They wanted an outing uh, for themselves and their birds. I had one on my arm by the name of Sweet, the African gray parrot. We became good friends and went for two hours through Central Park. The parrot people were very nice. They paid me well, but they were very uptight. They wouldn't try a single wild food. I finally gave up on them and started showing the plants to the parrots. Right. These are very intelligent birds. They paid attention. They tried everything I gave them. And it was the only interspecies tour I'd ever led. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's digress. What is urban foraging? Like, how do you explain it to people? You're looking for wild foods. There are herbs, greens, berries, nuts, seeds, roots, and mushrooms that people have been using for food and home remedies for thousands of years. They are incredibly delicious. They're loaded with nutrients, and they're completely free. They're also renewable. If you use some uh, intelligence, like pick the most common things where they're common, and if you pick something rare where it's rare, you're not going to have much of a meal. Duh. So you pick the common things where they're very common, take a small fraction, then the mowers come and cut them down. They come back again over and over and over. So we've been picking the same wild foods in the same spots for well over three decades, 
with large groups of people. I mean, I had 80 people a couple of weeks ago, wow. and the plants just kept keep coming back. So you're getting really, really tasty food. If you like to cook like I do, you can make incredible recipes, or just throw some of the greens into a salad. It'll be the best salad you've ever had, even if you have commercial greens in there. And uh, the mushrooms are stuff people pay hundreds of dollars for, and they just come up by the thousands if you happen to be at the right place at the right time. If not, there are all kinds of uh, fruits and berries. And right now, there's uh, in the Northeast, there's a berry called the wineberry that's in season that's uh, uh, very, very tasty. The only danger is when you eat it, uh, it can kill you. It tastes so good you can die of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Blackberries are in season two, but uh, very sadly, they've been in great decline year after year. Unfortunately, the blackberries have been getting too much competition from the iPhone. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was not expecting that joke, but there we are. So one of the things uh, – so to, to break it down to its roots, pun intended, uh, you have foraging, Right. Which is, and I just watched the movie uh, Year One where they have hunters and gatherers. So you would be a gatherer, right? Yeah, well, I do hunt mushrooms. You do hunt mushrooms. I'm sure they run away and there's, you need to track them with a camera and a, a bow and lie. arrow. Yeah, yeah, they, they do. So, uh, so the foraging, I'm, I'm sure, happens all the time. But you're, specifically, we're talking about urban foraging. So that's like finding food in the city, right? Yeah, which is the best place? Why is that the best so place? Are the enemies, what are the enemies of the plants? In the city, if you're a plant, you have to watch out for the lawnmowers. But the mowers can't get under the benches or go near rocks or near lampposts. Uh, outside the city, I don't know, it's a four-letter word. Maybe I shouldn't say it on the, on the air. It starts with a D and it ends with an R. You can we say think, anything you want on this and podcast. the middle two letters are both E. Dear. Yes, deer are much more effective herbivores than the lawnmowers. So there's actually more in the urban parks than there is outside the city. And I do things outside the city, too. We just did a tour in the Appalachian Trail in oh, wow. New York, which was, which was great with the, with the day camp kids that were camping out there. Uh, a lot of fun. But I do things in Central Park. I do things in Brooklyn and Queens in the city of Danbury, uh, occasionally in New Jersey, uh, all, all kinds of places. And you have both uh, the native and the foreign plants coming up. Um, and again, all different kinds of things. Berries are in season now, mushrooms are in season. There are herbs and greens that are in season, spring, summer, and fall, although the most greens come up in the spring. And then early spring and fall, you get root vegetables, Wild carrots, for example, that are way tastier than the ones you buy in the store. They are white instead of orange. Uh, a different subspecies, but the same species. And they're much crunchier, so you put them into carrot soups and carrot cakes. They maintain their textures. You do have to watch out for poison hemlock, which can kill you. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the root smells, the root smells uh, really bad. The carrot smells clearly like a carrot. So if you're careless and you don't uh, use my app or my books or you don't uh, look at what the characteristics of the plants are supposed to be. <laughs> that was pretty good. I like that. Yeah, that's the Brillophone. That's the Brillophone. Okay. <laughs> what the hemlock does is it stops your brain 
communicating with your heart and lungs. So you die of respiratory failure or heart failure. But uh, it's not all that bad. There are actually two people that can eat poison hemlock in quantity and it won't harm them at all. Just two uh, people? Just two people. And they happen to be friends. And they're famous. Yeah. Uh, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, they have no brains and no hearts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andrew, what do you got yeah. for me? All right. So, uh, Wild Man, <laughs> I, I, was in, uh, I was in Central Park last weekend with my wife. And uh, we actually we had a nice picnic there, but we had bought food and brought it there, and uh, I think we're gonna go back this weekend. Um, tell me how we can urban forge in Central Park and and uh, and not get arrested. How about yeah, that? Yeah, not get arrested. <laughs> oh, very 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 easily. I have a tour in Central Park this Saturday, eleven forty five to three forty five. You just call me at nine one four eight three five. 2153. The number is on my website, wildmansteveBrill.com. Mm -hmm. I'll give you all the specifics and uh, sign you up. And we're going to find sheep sorrel, uh, which is an incredibly delicious sour flavored plant you can put in salads or soups. Uh, very good sheep sorrel is not bad. Uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we should be finding carnelian cherries uh, just starting out. And that's a very delicious fruit. It's in the dogwood family. It tastes a little bit like a plum, but way, way more flavor. And uh, I, I love that one. It took me uh, years before I was brave enough to eat it. When I started foraging on my own in the late 70s, early 80s, there were very few books on the subject. Most of them were written by botanists who didn't forage and they wouldn't know what a kitchen was if it, one fell on their head. They didn't know anything about cooking, right. so the info was inaccurate, and they did not cover this. I found it in a tree book. It's in the dogwood family, so uh, there are poisonous dogwoods, so I would not eat it. But then I had a tour with this old guy by the name of Bob. Now, Bob is one of these people. You may know people like him. He just doesn't listen. Whatever you tell him, he doesn't listen. Hey, wild man. This berry looks really good. Can I eat it? I said, sorry, Bob, I don't know if it's edible or not. I haven't been able to find any information. Yeah, but what if I eat one? But what if one is the fatal dose? Of course, as soon as my back is turned, Bob pops one into his mouth. And uh, he doesn't, uh, I, I was really worried. Maybe someone on my tour will die. Yeah, but if it's Bob, I'll be rid of him. Yeah, but I don't want someone to die. But it'll be worth it. Right. Anyway, Bob acted totally normal for Bob. In other words, he went over to a young woman 30 years younger than, hey, uh, do you want to come to my place after the tour? Let's go on our own walk. No, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah but what about after the tour? I'm really not in. That woman called me up that night. Wild man, that old guy followed me all the way home. I had to slam the door in his face to get rid of him. I'm never coming on another one of your nature tours again. Boom, she slammed down the phone. <laughs> I haven't seen her since. Uh, so I knew that the plan hadn't affected Bob at all. And uh, later on, I found out it's the national food of Turkey. And because it has pretty flowers very early in the spring, the landscapers uh, planted. I tasted it. It was terrible. I set the rest aside, and it turned out it was the only berry that ripens after you pick it. It goes from bright red to uh, a very dark purple. And then it is incredibly uh, delicious. Later on, I uh, was on a 
TV show and they sent me home in a taxi. The taxi driver was from Turkey. We were talking and uh, at a red light I showed the taxi driver a picture from one of my books of this plane. He said, oh, we have this in Turkey and this is what they used in, back in the Bronze Age to teach boys how to do sword fighting. Turns out it's very long, straight, slender branches so the boys can duel with it without injuring themselves and that's how all the legendary warriors learned how to use the sword with that particular bush. So all these things have stories and, and history behind them and people lived outdoors and they ate lots of wild foods and interacted with these so the literature um, as well as the history and culture of various peoples contains all of these uh, plants so it's not just what right. you do with it in the in the kitchen. Do you eat for free? Oh yeah, I get a lot of food for free and some extremely nutritious uh, things, plants that are loaded with antioxidants. Uh, the only downside is you can get arrested. And here's what happened to me in 1986. <laughs> I was leading a foraging tour in Central Park and it turned out we had two undercover agents who had infiltrated my what? tour. What? Yeah, this was in the 80s when there were drug dealers. Yeah, that was bad. When it was dangerous, you did not want to go to Central uh -huh. Park. Uh, yeah, but the undercover agents were afraid of the real criminals, so they came on my tour. Sure, It was a sure. man and a woman. They said they were married. They never held hands or kissed, so I figured they'd been married a long time. <laughs> <laughs> they paid me with marked bills. And the man had a surveillance camera. He kept taking pictures. I'd hold up the specimen so he could get good shots of the specimen, only I was the specimen. At the end of the tour, I showed people, this is in March, before the leaves get bitter, that you could eat the leaves of the dandelion. They're really good. I ate a dandelion leaf. The male ranger ducked behind a tree, took out a hidden walkie-talkie. All right, there he is on 86th Street. No way. Every park ranger from Central Park popped out from behind the bushes. They surrounded me in case I was going to climb up a tree, put me in handcuffs lest I bump them on the head with a dandelion. They searched me. I don't know if they're looking for weeds or weed. Right, right. That's what I was going <laughs> to assume. It had to they be. They hauled me off to the police station in handcuffs. They took fingerprints. They took mug shots. They even searched my backpack. Fortunately, I'd eaten all the evidence. What did they feed you in jail? I was in there for three hours. Both the criminals and the cops all smoked cigarettes at me. Yeah. But eventually they took fingerprints. They issued me a desk appearance warrant that said I had to go to court and could face up to a year in jail if convicted. The charge was criminal mischief for removing vegetation from the park because I ate a dandelion. And then they made a very bad mistake. They turned me loose. Uh, I used to play in chess tournaments. And when your opponent makes a mistake, you have to find the right move to capitalize right. on. I went right home and spent the next day, the whole day is before the internet, on the phone. I called every TV station, newspaper, wow. wire service. The following morning, I went to the newsstand to see if I had gotten in any of the papers. Five cops stopped me. What do you want? I said, I haven't eaten a single dandelion. I haven't eaten that breakfast yet. One of the cops <laughs> says, we don't care. We want your autograph. I was on front pages of newspapers around the country. Wow. I, I get home, CBS Evening News calls me. Come into Central Park right away. Uh, Channel 2 and Channel 4 news crews are waiting online. Behind them, I'm on page one of the Chicago Sun-Times. 
I'm on page two of the New York Daily News. Um, I uh, get a call from England. They interview me on the BBC. The coronavirus strike is in its fifth week, and in New York City, they arrested the wild men of Central Park for eating a dandelion. <laughs> <laughs> I got on everything from Letterman to MTV in the next couple of years. Oh, wow. When they took me to court, I served Wild Man's Five Borough Salad with the herbs and greens from the five boroughs of New York City on the steps of the Manhattan Criminal Courthouse. The press ate that up, too. That's hilarious. I got millions of dollars of free publicity, after which the Parks Department lost their appetite for pursuing the case. Of, of course. They negotiated with me, dropped the charges, and hired me to lead foraging tours, which I did for the next four years until an unfavorable administration came in, reneged on everything the previous one did. I left, and uh, once in a while I get harassed, and we just move on, but they've never sent anyone after me again. Now, years after this, I was invited to the office of Adrian Benepe, who I worked with in the Parks Department, who was about to become Parks Commissioner. And he told me the real reason they arrested me is that they were afraid of frivolous lawsuits. Somebody would pretend to have been poisoned by foraging uh. and sue the city and say, oh, you let this guy forage. Foraging is allowed. Now we're going to sue you for millions of dollars. And then Decades after that, I was leading a tour for a group of judges and state legislators, and they told me if they arrest you for one reason and uh, give a different reason for why they've arrested you, which is certainly the case, they weren't trying to protect the dandelions, they were trying to protect their assets, mm. so to speak. Uh, that's called false arrest, and it's an example of, of official wrongdoing, and I wish they would uh, commit this crime again. Well, uh, you mentioned poisoning and how you could potentially be sued for that. So, I'm I'm pretty sure it's hard to find foods that are edible. I worry more about mushrooms. For some reason, mushrooms seem to be the most poisonous plant, or I'm sorry, fungus out there. How not, do you not know? Really, no. Uh, how do you know, though? How do you know that you that you're about to ingest something that isn't going to kill you? I, th I guess you never know, even in, in the supermarket. But you identify it. Every species has its identifying characteristics. The way you can tell a human from a chimpanzee. Uh, there's a way. Uh, there are ways to tell what the mushrooms are. You have to study them for a while. Okay. And one one group of mushrooms is called the polypores. They have just three characteristics. They all grow on wood, living, dead, or buried. You're not going to find them growing out of the ground unless there's a root or something right underneath it. You're not going to find it in a heap of compost. You're going to find it. Um, uh, you're going to find it on some form of wood. Uh -huh. Secondly, they're shaped like shelves, not umbrellas. Uh, thirdly, they have little pores or holes underneath. Sometimes you need a magnifying glass to see them, but they don't have gills. The things that look like knife edges. Right. Okay, so polypores grow on wood, they're shaped like shelves, not umbrellas, and they have pores underneath. Spores come out of the pores. If the spores land in the right place, a new fungus grows, and if conditions are right, the fungus produces a mushroom. In the polypore group, there are no poisonous uh, species. There are some that are delicious. There are some that is hard as wood. There are some that are as tasteless as my jokes. And there's some that taste so bad they taste worse than school lunch. 
but there are none that will uh, get you sick. There actually is one, uh, one member that's too hard to eat, that if you boil it and drink the tea, it will get you sick. But there are none that you can eat that will get you sick. So that's a good group to start with. Mm -hmm. One of the easiest polypores to recognize, one of the most common and most widespread, is the chicken mushroom. It's a polypore, again, grows on wood, looks like a shelf, has little holes underneath, that's bright orange on top and can be either uh, bright yellow or white underneath. There are different species. It tastes like chicken meat, only better, and uh, uh, there's really no mistaking it. If it's in California growing on a eucalyptus tree, it can pick up some of the eucalyptus uh, chemicals and get minty. sick. Uh, yeah, but for the rest of the country, uh, it is totally, completely safe. And you cook it with the same seasonings with which you cook chicken. I'm a vegan, and I make all kinds of chicken recipes with it. Um, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. What do you do in the wintertime? In the wintertime, I work on my app. I write books. I try to schedule all the things I'm doing with the public, with the schools, the land trust, the garden clubs, the scouts. But how do you eat? Three months, the three months, uh, I have a big freezer. Okay, <laughs> seriously. I'll buy, things, I'll buy things in the store, too. Okay, all right. Uh, it's probably only about 10% of my diet that's wild. I'm so busy leading tours on Facebook, answering the phone, working on the, on the writing. And that's how you make uh, a I, living? I also, I also have a 10-year-old daughter. Her name is Violet and she co-leads half my tour. She knows all the plants, and if I miss something, uh, Daddy, look, yeah. Daddy didn't see that one. <laughs> and, that, and that's your living? You make a living doing this? Oh, yes, yes. Wow. I've been doing this for 32 years. What are your, what are your books about? I mean, I'm, I'm assume, assuming they're all, all about urban foraging? Uh, yeah, yeah, urban and suburban. I mean, there's, there's a gradation. Uh, so uh, my first book, Identifying and Harvesting Edible and Medicinal Plants in Wild and Not-So-Wild Places, published by HarperCollins, covers the best plants of the country. Uh, I didn't do the illustrations, but they are beautiful. And uh, there is all kinds of information from recipes, folklore, mythology, medicinal uses, all in there. Uh, then I have my Wild Vegan Cookbook, which has my best recipes. Uh, the restaurant chefs basically deal with uh, with beef, pork, uh, um, chicken, poultry, yeah. fish, white flour, sugar, and eggs. Uh, there is a huge potential for making really delicious stuff with other ingredients from the health stores, from the Japanese markets, from the Hispanic markets, using wild foods. And uh, uh, my cookbook shows you how to make an omelet without breaking an egg. They're very delicious vegan ice creams. And uh, all the details about the culinary properties and uses of all the edible plants and mushrooms. Then I have a book called Shoots and Greens of Early Spring in Northeastern North America. It goes into depth in the, uh, for the first plants that come up in early spring in my part of the country uh, when they're the hardest to recognize. That one has my illustrations and photos, uh, tons of information, medicinal, edible recipes, uh, poisonous lookalikes, non-poisonous lookalikes. And then my newest book is Foraging with Kids. That has the uh, easiest to recognize plants for kids of all ages, for teachers, parents, and grandparents to use with their kids things that don't have poisonous look-alikes, mm -hmm. all the details of how to recognize them, 
uh, history, folklore, mythology, poetry, science, science projects, crafts projects. So it's a lot of fun to use. It's quite large and covers uh, all the best things from the entire country. Uh, my app, Wild Edibles, has two words, a picture of me with, uh, with uh, an explorer's hat on. This is another app by the same name. Uh, that has everything I know about all of the, all of the plants, about 200 plants. Uh, and unlike a book in an app, you can put like a dozen pictures. Right. So it has my illustrations, which show you the key identifying characteristics uh, very, very clearly. And then it has the photos, which show you what they look like in real life throughout the seasons, from the first shoot that comes up, uh, through the young plant, the mature plant, when it flowers, when it has fruits or seeds or berries or pods, and then what it looks like uh, with the fall foliage and what it looks like after it's died in the winter. Uh, uh, it has a checklist in, in addition to identifying characteristics and make sure it's this, 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 and that, that you have the right plant, poisonous, non-poisonous, lookalikes, edible relatives, non-edible relatives, uh, all of the medicinal uses, what the traditional herbal uses are, what science has uh, discovered about the plants, and what kind of experiments should still be done to uh, determine what really works and what does not. That is uh, all in there. So it has way more information than you can put into, uh, into a book. And it's seven ninety nine, so it's a, a real bargain. Cool. Put that on a on an iPhone, on an Android, and on an iPad. Although I, I do have to confess, I've had trouble with my iPad. Yet sometimes beats me at chess. <laughs> well, uh, have you noticed that the world of urban foraging has gotten more popular as years go on, more so than it was in the eighties? Well, I had a tour in 1982 with just one person. Right. I had a tour a few weeks ago with, uh, with 80 people. So I guess you would consider it 80 times more popular than it was. <laughs> and there's a lot of information out there. There are lots of foraging groups on, on Facebook, yeah. for example. Uh, you can get pictures on the Internet and you can get information, not all of it uh, being correct online right which, uh, which is certainly a help and you can communicate with people and people friend me on Facebook they post photos sometimes they put the from a long mile away they show the top the cap of a bunch of mushrooms without any of the underside the stem the gills right the important goes, parts yeah. where it's growing yeah but uh, if you if you send a series of good pictures um, I'd, I'd be happy to tell you what I think about the plants and then you can verify all of the details. How does someone get started? You start with the easiest to recognize plants. Uh, mulberries, dandelions, cattails. Uh, cattails? Like, like the those fuzzy brown things? Yes, yes. You can eat them? Are, I used yes, to light I, them on fire when I was a kid. I eat them all the time even though I'm a vegan. <laughs> so what, what you do with a cattail is in the springtime, um, you can pull up the stem. You do have to watch carefully, make sure there's no animal rights people around when you're pulling up right, the cattail. Of course, of course, yeah. Uh, and the inside tastes like a combination of cucumber and zucchini. It's, it's really good. In my wild vegan cookbook, 
has a recipe that's similar to, uh, you know, the French stew is that uses eggplants and tomatoes. It's uh, ratatouille. Yeah, ratatouille. Mm -hmm. And zucchini. Yeah. I use cattail instead of zucchini. And then it's catatouille, which is much better than ratatouille, because uh, wouldn't you prefer <laughs> eating a stew with tail of cat over one of tail of rat? I, I mean, if I had to choose, I'd say, yeah, probably. I don't know. That's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, that, that is delicious. So that's, that's, in the, that's in the spring. And when the shoots get really big uh, toward late spring, two or three of them will fill up your stomach. You wow. saute them. You put them in salads. You cook them in stews. Uh, you stir fry them. They work in almost in almost anything. Uh, then the part, the brown part that looks like the cat's tail, when it first emerges from the stalk, it is a green. You cook it like corn on the cob, huh. and it is dry. So you add a sauce, and the dry and moist at the same time is an incredible culinary combination. Uh, that then turns yellow, and then you shake the pollen off and use that. Uh, as flour, half and half with whole grain flours, it makes wonderful golden muffins and pancakes. So as I said, there's tremendous culinary possibilities with all these wild plants. I've been experimenting like crazy in the kitchen for over three decades, and I know I've just scratched the surface. So the cattail is a very, very easy one to recognize because there are always some left over from the previous year that look like uh, they they have the cylindrical sausage shape yeah. top. So that's an easy one. The mulberries fall to the ground and make a big mess. You put a drop cloth on the ground and shake the branches. Find a tree that has especially good tasting berries. And those things are all over the place, all over the country. And uh, uh, one that has low hanging branches. Uh, they don't sell mulberries because they're perishable. But uh, it took me years to find out because as many years uh, before I managed to lose a container of mulberries in the back of the refrigerator and found them four days later, they were starting to go moldy. Then mm -hmm. I realized why they don't sell them in the store in America. Right. They do sell them in the stores in the Middle East where there are traditional food, and I guess people buy them up right away and use them right away. Right. Well, uh, Wild Man, you are a wealth of knowledge in this area, and uh, I think I might have to come up to New York and do your tour. Is it... And, uh, for just give the phone number again if people want to if people are in the area and want to do the tour how can they find out about it okay it's 914-835-2153 mm -hmm. and I forget whether it's the, the next one is this Saturday or this Sunday we have Inwood Park in Upper Manhattan on one of the days in Central Park uh, the uh, the other day the following weekend I have a tour in Westchester New York and I have one in Philadelphia oh uh, but wild wildmansteverill.com has all the info if you do want to sign up for a tour uh, call me at 914-835-2153 that's 914-835-2153 and one of these days we need to talk about all the nuts and you can even eat uh, acorns. Those are uh, a mm -hmm. lot of fun, a little bit labor intensive. Yeah. And there are different species that have different characteristics. Uh, there are black walnuts, there are hickory nuts and pecans in different parts of the country, and there are some fantastic uh, roots as well. There are also flowers that you can eat that are especially delicious. There's one called the black locust tree, which grows in eastern North America, has flowers that taste like vanilla. Wow. This is, uh, 
you know, I think I might have to do some. I want to make a beer out of uh, out of some things that have been foraged around the city. That's a possibility. Well, there's, there's a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, the the simplest one is root beer. You take a tree called sassafras. Yeah. It's totally renewable. It can tolerate the shade, so you find hundreds of saplings in the shade that are all going to die. And uh, you pull out some of the roots, wash them off, uh, simmer them for 20 minutes. It makes a delicious tea, and you can use the root over and over again. You can use the leaves for making gumbo. Huh. And there, the younger leaves are edible, too. Uh, but you make the tea, you chill the tea, add some chilled sparkling water and a sweetener, and you have root beer. There you go. Man, that's that would wild. be the easiest. A lot of a lot of edible plants make uh, delicious wines too. The one that surprised me the most, I made oak leaf wine, and that came out really, really good. Yeah, wines too. Uh, can you make coffee? Can you forage for coffee? Yes, there is a tree in Central Park we will be going to called the Kentucky Coffee Tree. Get the hell it's, out! It's not related to coffee. It's in the legume family. But if you roast the seeds, your whole house smells like coffee. I made coffee with them once, and I spit it out. I hate coffee. It tasted <laughs> just like coffee. But if you cook, you know that the flavor of coffee is an incredible seasoning for chocolate. Yeah. So I uh, roast and grind up the, the seeds. They're caffeine-free. I put them into hot chocolate. I put them into chocolate puddings. And I make a, a vegan sugar-free uh, Kentucky coffee truffle, wow. chocolate truffle with these. And I usually, I usually, when we find the foods, I serve some samples. So uh, if you come on my Central Park tour, when we pick the wild coffee, you will get a taste of the coffee truffles. Cool. That sounds awesome. Well, wow, man, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Sure, it's been a pleasure. Excellent. So, guys, if you guys have any questions, and I'm sure you're going to have some questions, send us over uh, an email to listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. Uh, it could be about debt. It could be about budgeting. It could be about finance. It could be about what nuts you can eat in Central Park. We will we will get down to the bottom of it. And uh, if you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And I'm going to read a review real quick. It's a short one. Uh, got que- got questions. They will answer them. Five stars from Met Tiller from the United States. Great podcast with a lot of great information, and if you have questions, they will actually take the time to respond to you. Well done. And that's true. Andrew, you do all that responding. (laughs) Uh, So last but not least, if you guys want to learn more about personal finance and money management, we're always writing new stuff and posting up new episodes at listenmoneymatters.com. So that's it. Wildman, thank you again for being on the show. Andrew, we look forward to the next episode. So later, guys. Okay, happy foraging. Yes.